Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. If grief had the landscape I'm driving in now, a blanket of dark, ash-colored trees falls at the lip of the sky, one lonely birch at its middle, glowing and white. If grief had the landscape my mother grew up in, burned and golden, the soybean field, elastic and wilting into the dirt, swallows water, while a fistful of herons swallow the worms. Thanks. Uh, good morning, friends. Welcome. My name's Mike, if we have not met. Uh, four times in a year, we give kind of a financial update at Awaken. Three of those four happen on Sunday mornings. It's just a snapshot, four or five minutes. Uh, that would be one of, uh, today would be one of those days. The, the last of those four happens at our annual meeting, which is a much more in-depth conversation and dialogue about uh, you know, hopes, dreams, vision, mission, all those kinds of things at Awaken. So uh, today, Bruce is going to share a little bit, and I just want you to know both Bruce and Roger. Roger, if you can just wave, he's sitting in the back. Roger's our finance chair, uh, and so he and Bruce have worked together on these numbers and these slides. So Bruce will just share a little bit about kind of where we're at. Um, and if you have questions, please don't leave uh, without talking to either Bruce or Roger or emailing them. Uh, don't assume... Don't assume anything. If you have a question, ask it, okay? So, Bruce, go for it. Thanks, Micah. All right, so to give you a, a little bit of perspective here, I'm, I'm going to spend just a little bit of time on about three slides. Actually, it is three slides. Um, to give you a picture of sort of where we're at. So, if you want to go to the first one, um, over the course of the last seven months, um, our, our average weekly attendance has about been flat. And... Um, so if you look back at July, we're at about 100, 131 people on average on a Sunday. And um, if you go fast forward all the way to February, we've averaged about 137. So not quite as, as much growth as we had anticipated. Um, and with that, you also see that average weekly contributions are, are somewhat negatively trending other than November and December. Um, we have removed about $9,000 in one-time contributions as of the end of the year, which is huge for us. Um, you know, we, we do always receive generous amounts of money at, in, in the Christmas season, um, but we wanted to show this net of that amount because it gives a better picture of sort of where we're at on a weekly basis. So you can see that, that over time, we continue to see slight declines in average weekly givings. Um, which is just something that we want to be aware of. And um, it's a little, it's starting to not be a huge concern, but something we just want to take note of. So the second slide shows our monthly net income for that same period, actually through January, because we're not through February all the way. Um, but if you note here, and you sum all of these up, um, we're running at an, at a, at an approximately uh, $11,000 deficit over the course of, of seven months. If you add back the one-time contributions of 9,000 in, we're at about 2,000 of a deficit. Now, we match our revenues with our expenses. So as a not-for-profit, we want to stay at approximately zero. But, but it is something to note because if we continue to, to operate at a deficit over time, um, we have to start taking away you know, certain the activities that we, that we anticipate. And so we spent a lot of time coming up with what the vision is and, and what we're going to do for the next several months. And um, 
you know, if we continue to see these declines, it's a, it's a bit of a concern because we have to pull back some of those items. If we go to the next slide, uh, one of the other metrics we track quite a bit is is our cash on hand. Um, as a smaller, you know, a startup sort of a church, um, we want to make sure that our cash position allows for, for fluctuations in income. So we try to keep about three months of expenses on hand at any given time. And um, note that that the expenses we've included here is everything all in. So this is all of our missional activities. It's the lease on this place. It's salaries. It's everything we do. And if, you know, worse comes to worse, we're in a decent cash position, but we want to show this because we'd, we'd like to be almost exactly the same. So you'll see there's a, there is a gap between our three months expenses, which is the blue on the top, and then our cash position over time. Um, the one-time contribution in December is in here, and you see that gap, you know, sort of declines. But even over time, as you get into January, we start to see slight reductions in, in that piece of it. So all of this to say that, you know, we can continue. We're in okay shape from a cash position. Um, but as things start to unfold in the next several months and we see these trends continue, then we may have to pull back some of those activities. So... Something to pray about um, in life groups or, or on your own. Um, it takes it takes financial support to keep this going and, and to support the vision of what we're about. So if you have questions, reiterate Micah. Uh, Roger and I will be around after the service. Come find us. There's a lot of stuff that goes into these, you know, these tables and that kind of thing. Um, and we're happy to, to walk through those with you. So thanks. Whoa. We will not be doing any pyrotechnics here today. Sorry to tell you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, why don't you open them to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, and I'll just say to uh, kind of follow up and transition uh, from what Bruce said, uh, oftentimes the conversation about money in church is, it's awkward. Yeah? Amen? Anybody been to that spot or been there before? Um, and listen, um, Jesus talks more about money than nearly any other thing that he talks about in the gospel. So m money matters, our resources matter, it's an indication of what has captured our hearts, and um, um, that's something to think about. And so we want to invite you to participate in the life of this community in all kinds of different ways, that you would not just be a consumer. Um, we, we live in a consumer culture, and so that would be totally normal for you to come and receive and nothing else. That's not the nature of the church. Um, that's actually very counterintuitive to the nature of the church. This is a community where we depend on each other. And so we want to invite you into, the, you know, more and more, deep, you know, clicks deeper into the life of our community. And if that means giving for the first time to something that you believe in that happens at Awaken, um, please do so. Um, so, does that sound good? Great. Uh, again, if you have more questions, please talk to Roger, or myself, or Bruce. Um, we would love to talk more about that if you have them. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, we'll start in verse 15 today. If you have your Bibles, open them, and if you can, stand please as we read God's word. Verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord, oh, that's Ephesians, I'm sorry. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Like, I don't have a sermon ready for that one, but uh, okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 15, because I was confident of this, yes, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from uh, come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this, or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no? 
As surely as God is faithful, our message to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Pray with me. God, as we look at this story and this text, this letter, and we bring our lives and our stories to it, uh, do what you do. Be the God who is present, the God who is able, the God who uh, loves and cares and pursues us. Um, God, take whatever I have, may it be of you. Uh, anything that's not of you, I pray that it would not stick, that it would not find a home. But that those things that are of you, God, may, the, may they be lodged deep in our hearts um, so that we might m- look more and more like this Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. Uh, I'm entitling this week's message, the, the Gods Are Not Angry, for reasons that will become clear, hopefully, in a moment. Uh, you might recognize this as a uh, somewhat popular, depending on who you're talking to, uh, video by a guy named Rob Bell. I like to call him Bob Bell, but um, be that as it may, the Gods Are Not Angry, uh, have you ever sat in a, in a room where you get one side of a conversation? Like somebody's on the telephone, uh, they're talking to their mother or what, whatever, their girlfriend, boyfriend, and you hear one side of the conversation. And so in that space, in that position, you, you kind of try to fill in the blanks, right? You, you hear what they say and you make assumptions, you make judgments, not in the bad way, but in the good way, that, about what the other person might be saying. In a lot of ways, that's kind of what we're doing with Paul and with Corinth. We don't know all of the things that happened in Corinth. We don't have actual historical record of those things. But we know, based on Paul's response to a number of different things, that we can sort of put the pieces together as to this is what was going on in Corinth. Clearly from this passage, we know that uh, that one, Paul's plans have changed. If you remember the map that we had, uh, like uh, the Mediterranean Sea, the south of the Mediterranean, Israel's over here. This is northern, the northern Mediterranean. Corinth is right on the sea. Macedonia is in the north. Jerusalem is down here. Paul's plan was to go from Ephesus to Corinth to visit them and then go to Macedonia and on his way back down, visit them again before he went to Jerusalem. We know that there's a collection that's being taken from the book of Acts. We know this, that Paul is going to all the churches that he started and asking them to participate in an offering, essentially, to bring back to the church in Jerusalem because they've come on hard times and they have funded and prayed for and supported the work of Paul before, and so now it's sort of you know, reciprocity here. So Paul wants to go back, but he says, Listen, I, I plan to go to, to Corinth and then Macedonia and then come back, but it didn't work out that way. Um, we'll talk a little bit about why, he has, why his plans changed, um, but he allows them to see, uh, in a couple of verses, he allows them to see the motivation for why he doesn't, But for now, let's just say that the last visit didn't go well. If you remember this from our study, something happened. He was called out. They're challenging his his apostleship and and have sort of called him out of the carpet. And it it was awkward. It didn't go well. So if if you've ever watched Jay Leno, there was a joke where he told uh, at one point and somebody from the front of the audience yells out, too soon. You remember that one? (laughs) I love it. I knew that was going to be crickets, and so I just leaned into it. Um, it's a little too soon for Paul to go back, right? Like, it wasn't, wasn't good the last time, and so Paul essentially, on his own, has decided, 
I think it's probably a little premature for me to come back and visit you again since the last time I was there went so poorly. Now, if you, if you read ancient writings, you find one of the things that is not looked uh, highly upon in the ancient world is this character quality of being fickle or kind of shifty or flighty. We had a friend in college who was just a flake, right? She, she would say, yeah, I'll be there. And then we knew, like, she's not coming. Do you, you all have, anybody have friends like that? Yeah. This is not looked look well upon in the ancient world. In fact, it's really quite, it's frowned upon to the, to the tune of many ancient writers are found talking about how terrible it would be if you're flighty or shifty or sort of fickle in this way. Uh, Cicero, Tacitus, a number of other writers talk about this, and it would be bad enough if this were Paul, right? It would be bad enough if Paul was just a little flaky. But to make matters worse, the Corinthians have kind of taken it a step further, and for all of the therapists in our midst, you're going to love this part. I, I would suggest that the Corinthians are suffering from a classic case of transference. <laughs> and transference essentially means this. It's like, uh, I think we actually have a definition. The redirection of feelings and desires, and especially of those unconsciously retained from childhood toward a new object. So here's how it goes down. I have this traumatic experience as a child. I have all these fears, you know, emotions that are connected to that. I meet you, you say something, do something, you smell a certain way, and it triggers something in my head, and I'm taking all these emotions, and I'm transferring them to you, all right? You all still following, right? This is just classic sort of boys and girls. um, You might want to pay attention to this if you're in a relationship with somebody. Have you ever been in that situation where you just get blasted out of nowhere, and you're like, where did that come from? Boys probably more than girls, right? You've ever been there? Just, it's probably, a, you're dealing with a classic case of transference. All you need to do is find the root of the problem and then, you know, things will go well for you. I'm going to keep telling jokes and if you don't laugh, I don't care. <laughs> I honestly don't care. The first hour was in stitches. I don't know what's wrong with you people. I'm going to keep going though. So, so essentially, the, 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 the Corinthians, right, Paul has told them, I'm coming to see you. And then he doesn't show up. And there's no text messages. There's no emails. They're expecting him, and he doesn't show. So they're mad. They're angry. They get all bent out of shape, and they begin, they begin to take their feelings towards Paul, that he's fickle, shifty, uh, not dependable, and they start transferring those to who God is, right? If, because Paul represents this God. Paul's an apostle. He's an ambassador of Jesus. So if Paul's shifty, if he says yes and then no, if he can't be depended on, then Yahweh can't be depended on. Then God it must be this way also. How do I know this is true? I'm putting the pieces together a little bit. But he doesn't defend himself in this text. He really, what he spends the most time defending is the gospel. He defends God. He says, listen, in Jesus, we know that the yes of God has been spoken. So he defends God, not necessarily himself. And he would only do this if the Corinthians were making this connection that if Paul is this way, God must be this way. Paul says, no, no. God is not fickle. He's not capricious. He's not uh, undependable. But rather, in fact, all that God has promised through history has been fulfilled in Jesus. God's heart for humanity is on display in this Jesus, and it is a resounding yes. So for Paul, it's important for him to remind Corinth, though I disappointed you, and I said I would be here, but I couldn't come, you need not transfer those feelings or that to God because God is not this way. And I wonder if there's any of us who might need to hear a message similar to that this morning. I mean, if we fast forward just a little bit into our own day and our own lives, right? This is Paul, 
Corinth. They're upset. He didn't come. He's shifty, fickle. He's undependable. And now these people start believing that this is, in fact, what God is like. And I wonder if any of us need to hear something similar to that. Your mom or your dad may not have represented God well to you. Some of us have had a great gift in that we've had parents who have loved us and championed us and, and, and spoken highly of us and believed in us, and that is a gift. And God is all the more better than they. But some of us have not had that. And can I just remind you that that is not what God is like. God does not walk out. God does not abandon. God does not hurt. God does not supplant. God is not fickle. He's not yes and no. It's yes to humanity. Your friend who was a Christian but actually was a total hypocrite, who, you know, none of us can relate to that. <laughs> they don't speak for God. They don't have the final say. They may not accurately reflect the nature and heart of what God is like. Many of us have said, if that's what God is like, that person or how they've acted, I want nothing to do with it. And while it is terribly unfortunate that oftentimes we don't represent God the way we ought to as people who follow Jesus, we need to separate our friends or our family members or people who have said, I follow this Jesus from the nature and character of God because they may not be, in fact, connected. It may be very different. And let's, let's just talk for, about the church for a moment, if I may. Uh, I'm sure if we lined up everybody and talked about all the unfortunate things that church people have said and the dumb things church people have said over the years, there may be hurtful things that church people have said over the years. And how many people know friends or you've been in that boat where it's like, that, if that's the church, I want nothing to do with it. And I think it's important for Paul to remind these folks that God may not be fickle and say yes and no because I did that. I had good reason for that, and I'll get to that in a couple verses, but you need to know that God is not like that. Now, let's take this a click deeper if I can. What does it mean to say that in him it has always been yes? For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. What exactly is Paul getting at? What does that mean God's heart is manifest on display in Jesus and it is a divine and loud and resounding affirmation and yes to humanity. What does that mean? I would say maybe at least a couple things. One, the gods are not angry, hence the title of my sermon. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll be here all week. Not to be confused with the gods must be crazy, right? Does anybody remember that movie? Yeah, the Coke bottle shows up to the African village and it's just like, you know, messes everything up. Leave it to Coke. Um, not to be confused with that, but rather there's a very common theme and a common reality among ancient people and belief about the fact that the gods are angry and something has happened and they are all bent out of shape about something to the tune that we need to appease them and appeal to them and sacrifice to them in order that they might not be so mad. This is not an uncommon view, then or now, actually. We find from the very earliest of human histories, 
Like long before the Hebrews ever showed up on the, on, on the pages of history, long before that, before God revealed God's self in, particular pla- in a particular place and time, long before that, we find humans making sacrifices to the gods that they believed governed the world and their lives, to the God of the sun, to the God of the moon, the God of the rain, the stars, the, right? And they sacrificed plants, animals, even their own children, because they believed that somehow the gods were angry and they needed to appease the gods so that life would be well among them. Where does that come from? Why do we do that? We could have a very interesting conversation about the psychology of religion, right? Like why did humans do that all the way from the beginning? That they felt this need to sacrifice something to the gods. But for our sake and for our purposes this morning, I think it's sufficient to say that Paul is offering a very different view of God a very different view of humanity. One, not where God is angry and like ready to whack somebody, but in Jesus, we see the heart of God on display. And despite what you've been told about God, despite what you may have, been, have seen depicted about God, and maybe even despite what you have been led to believe about God, God is not somewhere on God's throne, mad and angry and hacked off, ready to whack you, looking for someone to pay. He's not, God is not up there in the heavenlies, like really ticked off about sin and, and is so holy that it's, somebody's got to pay for this. Now, is God upset about sin? I would say yes. And, and one only needs to read the prophets to realize this. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, thank you very much. All kinds of, in all sorts of different ways. And maybe you could say more appropriately, God is upset about injustice and inequality and just rails on Israel for this and letting this happen and even even, uh, uh, making space for this to happen among them. He's really upset about that. But the story doesn't begin with sin and anger. It doesn't end with sin and anger. And yet for so many of us, this is our view of God. I wonder why that is. Do you think the church has anything to do with that? Like, heaven forbid, like, when we start printing tracts. Like, what do we begin with? What do we lead with? I mean, this is terrible marketing, friends. Just this bad PR. The story of God is about love, and it's about the God who created the world, who wants it back and wants to redeem it, and has given up his actual son to do so. And we begin with, you're a sinner, and you're going to go to hell. I just don't think it's a good move. Personally, I mean, this is a little bit of a rant here. This is a little bit of a you know, digression. But we lead with that, and it's like, it's no wonder people think this about God. That God is mad and angry and ready to pound you. And I want to say, and I think what Paul is saying, that while sin and brokenness is real and and it's horrible, like we we manage to mess up anything that we touch. And all of human history shows this. But God begins with, God is not anger, but love. The Bible says this. God is love, 1 John. So, what Paul is saying here is, and, and, and if I've upset you, tune back in for just a second and hear this. If Paul's saying anything, he's saying this. God is at least as compelling and beautiful as Jesus. Whatever you believe about God, if it's not at least as compelling and beautiful and loving and gracious as Jesus, you've, we've got a problem. Now, let me wrap this up and say it this way. What is Paul saying when he says that in him, in Christ, the yes of God has been heard? I would say it this way. All of humanity is elect in Christ. 
Now, before you hang me out to dry on the heretic's line, all of humanity is elect in Christ. Stick with me, because if you don't, you, you will run the risk of misquoting me and hearing me say something that I'm not saying. What I'm saying, all of humanity is elect in Christ. And I'm going to stick pretty close to my notes here, friends, because I want to make sure I say this right. There's a very common belief among Christians that, based on a few verses in Romans and Ephesians, that some of humanity is elect, predestined to salvation or for salvation, and some of humanity is not. If you have your Bibles, look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, Paul says this in verse uh, 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 5 says this. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And then down to verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. From these verses and a particular way of reading Romans, there is a theology that's developed called double predestination. It's it's sort of made famous by a guy named John Calvin, who was a part of the Reformation, if you remember, late 15th century or 16th century. And and it's part of a theological uh, framework called Reformed Theology or the Reformed Tradition. You may have heard me say this before. I, sometimes I assume that everybody knows what I'm talking about and some people are like, dude, slow down. What on earth did you just say? So this is me slowing down, trying to help gather as many people and bring you along, okay? Essentially, the first predestination of double predestination is that some are elect. Some are, before the, before the foundations of the world, from eternity past, Some of humanity is elect and predestined for salvation. And by that, or what happens then, is those who are elect by grace and by the work of the Spirit in their lives come to see and understand the work of Jesus and by faith receive Christ, right? And they're elect. They're they're predestined that this would happen. And then we call that salvation. Now, the other end of double predestination is the opposite of that. That some of humanity often called the reprobate humanity or the non-elect, are not elect from eternity past. They are non-elect. They're, and so therefore, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is only for the elect. Now, at this point, you might be scratching your head, and I would encourage this activity. I have a very, very, very hard time believing that this is true. I get where it comes from. It's in the text. If you just read the text as it is, black and white, it says God predestined some. Well, then he predestined some two and some four, some some four and some not. It's there. I get it. But if you back up the truck a little bit and you begin to ask the question, what kind of image of God does does this presuppose? And then does that image of God square with who we see Jesus is on the cross? The answer is a resounding no. What do we hear Jesus say on the cross? Not, I died for you, but not for you. No, we hear, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. We, we hear the gospel writers say that Jesus dies so that all will be saved and none will perish. Like what's in the heart of God is not you, but not you, but everybody. 
I just, this, reading the, this kind of an understanding of God is just so problematic on so many levels. And so I just want to offer maybe a different one. Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you've thought, these people are crazy. If, that, if that's what God is like, that God would elect some and not others, like would create someone for hell or whatever you believe about the afterlife, eternal separation from God. What a jerk! I mean, I've heard people say that, and I want to say, I agree with you. That's not a very loving God. It's a capricious, fickle God who says yes and no, right? And this is exactly what Paul's saying. That's not who God is. It just can't be. And, and, and I, there's a guy uh, I find really, really helpful on this. Not helpful on some things, but helpful on this. His name's Karl Barth, old guy, German theologian. He says this, or a, a commentator, and he say this. The triune God eternally elects or chooses in divine freedom to be for humanity the God of grace and love. Therefore, in Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, God is both the elector and the elected. For Bart, predestination is identical with the election of Jesus. God freely chooses or predestines himself and all humans to be in loving relationship with and through Jesus. God will have it no other way. He loves humanity and he will not be without humanity. Now at this point you might be asking, Micah, are you a universalist? What, what I hear you saying is that all of humanity is elect. And that's exactly what I'm saying. But to answer the first question, are you a universalist? I would say simply no. I cannot be. If you've been around the last couple weeks, we've talked about free will and choice. If free will and choice is real, and if love is dependent upon a relationship where you choose and I choose, where I don't coerce you or make you, that's not love, that's manipulation. If love requires a choice, then free will, you cannot be a universalist and uphold free will. Because in the end, everybody goes to heaven, right? God gets everyone back. Regardless of whether or not you've chosen to live outside of what God has offered or you've chosen to live your life rid of God. So I cannot be a universalist because we get what we want. If we want life without God now, we'll get it now and forever. And God will honor that choice. But nothing more need be done on God's part for us to be in relationship with God. What Paul is saying here is in him, the yes of God has been heard from all that God needs to do, all that God needed to do to offer relationship and reconciliation to us has been done. And it is a resounding yes to all of humanity, save none. The problem is you <laughs> and me, right? The problem is us. God has opted in. If it's a relationship and it's real, God has said, yes, I'm in for humanity, the God of grace and love and forgiveness, insofar as I will offer Jesus as a sacrifice on your behalf. I'm all in. That's what we hear God saying in Jesus. Yes to you and you and you and you and you. Yes, yes, yes. Is that clear? Do I need to say it again? <laughs> the problem is us. We have a choice. And we can opt in to that relationship and receive forgiveness and follow this Jesus or not. So friends, 
Simply say yes. What are you waiting for? If anything is true, we know that given enough time, we will mess it up. I will mess it up. I will wreck it. Anything I get my hands on in the end will become broken, and this is what we do. There's something in us that just says me instead of you, and that is not the way God intended the world to be. That's why we have all the problems that we have, because we've all said me instead of you. And Jesus comes and says, on your behalf, the elected representative for all of humanity, we hear God say yes and offer a way by which we can be in relationship with God. So simply, I say to you this morning, opt in, say yes, receive forgiveness that Jesus offers, be reconciled to the God who made you, that chose you, that elected you, that died for you. But your choice, you choose nobody else. And God honors our choice. We get what we want. So Paul's saying something pretty important here. And we've received lots of different messages about God's disposition, God's heart, the way in which God sees you or acts towards you. And I want to offer a way of reading this story that says what we hear in Jesus is the affirmation, the yes of humanity, which includes you, and the invitation to the table. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.